you and the ushers, the greeters, everybody. There's so much that goes on that we don't recognize. The cleaning uh, crew and the, and the leader of cleaning, uh, the church house, God's house, and uh, the teachers, nursery workers, everyone. It's just such a blessing. Thank you for all the people on staff and the volunteers. Um, we couldn't do this without you, and I just thank you so much, and you don't get enough uh, appreciation. I know God will give you treasures in heaven, but every once in a while it's nice to, to be recognized, and so I thank you very much for what you do. Oftentimes, I'm up here, and I get a lot of recon, uh, recognition, uh, good or bad, <laughs> and so um, I, I just want to say thank you. We have an awesome, awesome team here at First Open Bible, an incredible team uh, of leaders and volunteers. Amen. If you're a volunteer, we are going to double your pay this week. Praise God. If you're on staff, we're keeping the same pay. Okay. Amen. That's how much we appreciate you. <laughs> oh, it's weird. Okay. Uh, just a couple things. Some of you might know who Dot Slayton is if you've been in this church uh, for at least um, about five years or longer. You, she was here. Um, she's had a few things that have happened in the past. She's been in this church for a very, very long time. Um, uh, she passed away just a couple days ago, and I uh, just wanted to, to share that with the family. Some of you are not on Facebook, or you're not uh, on our emails, and you might not know, or maybe you're just not tech savvy, but she passed away, so we need to lift up the family in our prayers this week. Uh, there will be a service. Uh, Kenny Gale, Reverend Kenny Gale, is going to be doing the service. He's known the family uh, most of his life, I believe, um, which Kenny has not been that long. Um, yeah. Um, is Kenny in the house today? Is he here? Yeah? No? Cool. Okay, well, he'll be here Friday because I hope so because he's doing the funeral. Amen. So uh, the celebration service will be on Friday. If you have any questions, please call uh, the church office and um, I will go from there. A couple other things. If you have your Bible app, will you please open it? Open your Bible app. Uh, it's a version app. We've done this all of January um, and we've done it majority of February. If you open it up, get into your U version. And uh, when you get in there, you go to the bottom corner, it says more. Click on more there. Um, and then they'll bring up a whole bunch of stuff and you'll see events. Click on events. You'll probably find our church first thing right there. If not, you can type in First Church of the Open Bible, uh, Cedar Rapids, and uh, you'll find this location here. If you click on that, you're going to see today's notes of what I'm preaching on uh, this morning. And if you want to save these notes, you have to hit save, otherwise they'll be gone in a few hours. But uh, go to Bible app, version, go to more events, First Church Own Bible, and click save. Uh, one other thing before I get into God's word today and we conclude our series, I want to say something about last week. Um, some people picked up on what I was trying to share and some I don't know if they did or not. I just wanted to be clear. Here's, here's where God was sharing. If you were here last week, you're going to know what I'm talking about. If not, you'll have to go online and be like, oh, okay. Um, but last week, God really put on my heart uh, to be vulnerable. I was to be vulnerable, not for the sake of for you to feel bad for me or sorry for me or, or oh, oh, poor pastor. Uh, that would be arrogant and immature of me if I was to do such a thing from the pulpit. Um, that is, the pulpit is for God's word. It is for God's people. It is not for our own agendas. That is wrong. And so I just want, to, I want you to know the reason why I did what I did is because I know many of you are going through a very hard time. Uh, many of you are having many challenges, and sometimes um, the best way uh, to feel like you can be open and you can be vulnerable is if you're shown by someone else that vulnerability. God told me many years ago, Pastor, you say a lot of words, you say a lot of things, but how do you lead by example? Sometimes you're like, man, Pastor's word is really strong. Well, that's because that's how the Holy Ghost talks to me. He talks to me personally. He said, I don't want you just to say words. I want you to lead by example. And so last week was, I felt, because I didn't feel it at all at first, but I felt like God said, be vulnerable with them, share with them. If you think that, you know, I, I shared that last week was a really hard week. Uh, ministry, almost every week is a hard week, okay? Uh, but I know a lot of you are going through some things and you're going through some challenges. So I wanted to be vulnerable to let you know it's okay to be vulnerable, Okay. Don't stay in that. See, see uh, 
King David, he was vulnerable over and over again, but he always gave glory back to God at the end. He always was reminded of the promises of God and that's how it always ended. And that's how he always finished his Psalms. So I wanted you to know um, that it's okay to be vulnerable. Don't stay there, don't stay in the pain, but be vulnerable, allow God to, to share um, uh, in, in your pain, right? God wants to know what you're going through. God loves you so much. He wants to know it all. He already knows it, but sometimes when you let it out, there's a healing in that church, amen? And so we gotta come around each other and love each other. So I thank you for all the prayers. I thank you for all the, the messages. Um, uh, and some people are like, oh no, pastor's leaving. I'm not leaving. I don't even know how you got that out of that, but, but, um, but I'm not leaving. It's, it, you know, walking through this life is difficult. I've said this years ago, life hurts and God heals, okay? Sometimes life just hurts and it's hard. It's hard. And I'm so thankful I have a hope in Jesus. I'm so thankful I have an answer in Jesus. I'm so thankful that he gets me through every trial and tribulation. And I just wanted to share that with you that guess what? We're all in the same boat sometimes, all right? A lot of people put pastors up on pedestals and think that they don't walk through things. That is far from the truth. But guess what? I will never turn my back on God. I will never turn my back on him, amen? Amen. I wanted to encourage you, if you're going through a hard time, it's okay to be vulnerable, but don't turn your back on God. Look to him. Where does my help come from? It comes from the heavens. It comes from God. And God was sharing that and then also gave it to our precious baby uh, for his life this week too, Psalm 121. My help comes from God. Amen? It comes from him. It comes from the heavens. Amen? Everybody good? Amen, amen, amen. amen. All right? Um, Sometimes we get the persona that we have to put a, a facade on, right, to put a happy face. It's Sunday, I took a shower, I got dressed up, uh, and then I, I should be happy all the time. Sometimes life's hard, and guess what? You need each other. Be real, be real with each other. Don't live in that, that's exhausting. It's exhausting to always have a problem, always have trouble. Guess what? Every once in a while, you have to stop being the complainer and start being the one that blesses other people. Okay, you gotta start praying for other people, but it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to be real, it's okay to lean on one another. How can you bear one another's burdens if you never know there's a burden? Amen? Amen? So share it with each other, but don't live in it, okay? God will get us through it all, amen? It, the Bible even says, the worst thing that can happen to us is if we die, and then the Bible says, oh, death, where is your sting? See, when I die, it's even better because now I'm in his presence and everything's made right, Amen? I love being a believer. I, I, don't know, I don't know how people do it without God. I don't know how they do it. They turn to substances. They turn uh, to the government. They turn to things. They turn to people. They turn to uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, like they used to say back in the day. They turn to all these things. But let me tell you, that's, a, that's an end. That there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no hope there. It's great for a season, and then you go even deeper than you were before. Jesus is the hope. Amen. He is the answer. Turn to him, church. Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to conclude our series, Reset, Winning the War in Our Mind. Are some of your thoughts out of control? If you're honest, you'll say yes. Do you long to break free from this spiral of destructive thinking? Let God's truth become your battle plan, the battle plan to win the war that is in your mind. God has something better for your life than your old ways of thinking. Church, it's time to change your mind so God can change your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what do we remember, right? We're gonna conclude this series. Today is the last day of this series. So if we look back, here's some things that we can remember about winning the war in our mind. We know that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Right? The way you walk into some way and the way that you're thinking when you walk into that situation will actually oftentimes determine the outcome before you even do one thing. We also know it's almost impossible to have a positive life when you have a negative mind. Pastor Mark did a great job teaching on Wednesday and I love this quote that he had. He said, quote, the life of faith starts in the mind, end quote, Right? You gotta think about it, right? If, if you haven't had a chance or you weren't here on Wednesday, 
it's a really good intellectual, it, it just got me thinking in a lot of ways and it broke down a lot of ways that we have faith and how it all starts and what we believe and why we believe it and how that even happened or why we don't believe certain things. But the life of faith starts in our mind. This morning, we're gonna ask God to reset our minds and reset our hearts and look in his word to help us and to teach us to love well. That's today's sermon's titled, Love Well. See, loving well is the goal of the Christian life. Believers, I hope you did not check your brain at the entry door of the church today. Did you check your brain? Right? Oftentimes we get real spiritual and we just stay in the emotions. But God is not only in the emotions. He's also in our mind. Amen? All right, think to yourself real quick. Take a moment. What do you think, right, to yourself, what do you think loving well means? Loving well. Think about it for a second. How do, oh, to yourself, that wasn't to yourself. <laughs> Just think to yourself. Think to yourself, how do you love well or how would God want you to love well see walking this Christian life and loving well is easier said than done it really is to love well requires that we grow into emotional and spiritual adulthood in Christ we have to be spiritually mature so we can be emotionally mature if we're emotionally immature you can't love well if you're emotionally immature you can't love like jesus see jesus preached many great messages to the multitudes yet even jesus knew that would not be enough for people to truly get it james 1 tells us this but don't just listen to god's word you must do what it says Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. See, many people know the truth or many truths of the Bible, and you know it relatively pretty well. You can recite many of the Ten Commandments, and you can articulate key principles of Christian living, but knowing the Word of God and living the Word of God, they are very different. They are two different things. Lord Jesus, please help us, help change our minds so, God, you can change our lives. Lord, please teach us to love well. Now, have you ever found yourself, maybe even this morning or maybe this week, have you ever found yourself committed to Jesus and committed to his love, but not relating to people emotionally in a mature way? A few weeks ago, we talked about this. Remember the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? He says, why do I do what I hate? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Remember that? The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Have you ever been there before? Just to find yourself embarrassed later, man, how I acted, how I spoke, how I related and reacted you knew it was not what Jesus would have done. That is not what a spiritual or emotionally mature person would have done. Church, we can learn many skills, and we probably have learned many skills, to be competent in our careers, at school, in church settings, in public and family gatherings, right? We learn how to act in public. But what we don't learn are the skills necessary to grow into emotionally mature believers who love well. This morning, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna learn some practical ways to grow up emotionally. Amen? Anybody wanna do that? Anybody emotionally a wreck right now? And just like, hey, I ain't, I ain't feeling that, brother. Okay, okay, hey, I see your hand. 
I see that hand. That's okay. I said vulnerable earlier. Amen. We got to be vulnerable. One thing I learned about youth ministry is they see right through the fakeness. You, you have to be 100% authentic and real or they don't care. I just want to tell you this. Same goes for the world that's lost. Be real, church. Be real. Be real. Give them the promises of God. All right, so uh, we're going to try to grow up in some ways emotionally. See, part of growing into an emotionally mature Christian is learning how to apply practically and effectively the truths we actually believe in. Here's some examples. How can I be quick to hear and slow to speak? How can I be angry and not sin in my anger? How can I watch my heart above all else? Jeremiah says there's nothing more wicked than our own heart, right? That's when the, word, the world says, follow your heart. Anybody says that, you run. That is, that is exact opposite of the Bible. Jeremiah says our heart is the most wicked. If you want to follow it, it's going to lead you down a very bad path. Follow the spirit of God. Follow his word. Check your heart. Amen. How about this? How can I speak the truth in love? How can I be a true peacemaker? How can I mourn? How can I not bear false witness against my neighbor? And last one, how can I get rid of all bitterness, rage, and envy? We know these things, we say these things, but how do we practically and effectively live these things? Church, here's the end result if Christians are unable to walk out their beliefs. Churches and the relationships within the church, they don't look any different than the world around them. Now, I've preached off and on my entire life. I'm sorry. Yes, true. But from a pulpit, about 15 years. It's true. As soon as I got saved in ninth grade, I was going to parties, people were drunk, and I'm preaching to my drunk friends. I ain't lying. Yeah, I did it. Oh, no, 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 I don't clap. You know, I got to clap for that. It's true. I feel like I wasn't meant meaning that. I'm, I'm saying that once God got a hold of my heart, I've been preaching a long, long time, from a pulpit, almost 15 years. And here's one thing. Uh, I've preached a lot of inspiring sermons and, and sharing God's heart and love for people, but here's what I found out that telling people to love better is not enough. You know how many people I've preached to and watched them go into the world and be just like the world, turn their back on God, break your heart, stab you and run? You know how many times I've seen that? You know how many times that you're like, no, you're ruining your life, stop. I think that's part of the reason why God told me years ago, don't just say words, be an example. That's for you, church. Don't stop saying words. Be an example. Telling people to love better, just telling them that's not enough. See, believers need practical skills incorporated into their spiritual formation so they can grow into emotional, they can go from emotional infancy to emotional adulthood. All right, here's what an emotional infant looks like. You ready? And don't you dare look at your neighbor. That's actually a sign of being an emotional infant, actually. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You look at your neighbor, I'll go, okay, I know where you're at. Okay. Here's what an emotional infant looks like. They look to others to take care of them. They have great difficulty entering into the world of other people. They're driven by the need for instant gratification. They use others as objects to meet their needs. Now here's what an emotional child looks like. They're content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They unravel quickly from stress or disappointments and trials. They interpret disagreements as personal offenses. Ah. 
By the way, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I hate you. The world has lost that. They have lost it. Absolutely lost it. When it comes to that. An emotional child, they get hurt easily. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their own way. They have great difficulty calming, calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature and loving way. Now, this is what an emotional adolescent looks like. They tend to be often defensive. They're threatened and alarmed by criticism. They keep score of what they give so they can ask for something later in return. They deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, or going to a third party, pouting, or ignoring the issue entirely. They become preoccupied with themselves. They have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments, or their needs. They are critical and they're judgmental. Okay, you ready for what an emotional adult looks like? Amen? Anybody? I know I am. <laughs> I'm like, Pastor, come on, man. Here's what an emotional adult looks like. They're able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer. They ask clearly, directly, and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and their own feelings. Under stress, they can state their own beliefs and values without becoming hostile. They respect others without having to change them. They give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. They appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, the ugly, and not what they can just give back. They accurately assess their own limits, their own strengths and weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. They're deeply in tune with their own emotional world, and they're able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. And the last one I have here is this. They have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely, and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others. Church, emotional, mature Christian adults recognize that loving well is the essence of true spirituality. Now to do this requires that we experience connection with God, right? You can't do this unless you're connected to God. Also, you can't do this if you're not connected to yourself, right? Self-reflection is a good thing. It also requires that we also connect with other people. Does anybody else in the house want to continue to grow emotionally and spiritually closer to the Lord? Anybody else want to grow up in some of those areas? I know I do. Okay, so we're going to talk about four key principles to help us love well. You ready? Okay, one person, praise God. Everybody else, are you feeling a little emotional right now? No, I am. You know, it's really good to think in church, amen? Right? It's like, think, right? A while ago, I was like, you know what? Think about what you think about. And think about how you think about what you think about. And you're like, what? No, think about it. For real. It's Sunday morning, but it's late, so y'all should be woken up by now. Hallelujah. All right, four key principles to help us love well. Here's number one. Number one is love people. God invites us to do something very special in life. He invites us to practice his presence in our daily lives. God also, at the same time, invites us to practice the presence of people. See, Jesus his profound prayer life with his father resulted in a profound presence with people. Did you hear me? Jesus in his presence, uh, with his father's presence in his prayer life resulted in a profound presence with people. How do you think Jesus loved people? He was in the presence of God. 
The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the church leaders of that time, they never made that connection. They were diligent, zealous, very committed to having God as the Lord of their lives. They memorized the Torah. They even prayed five times a day. They tithed in all their income. They gave to the poor and they even evangelized, but they never, church, they never delighted in people. They did not link their ability in loving God with their ability to loving people. Why did Jesus come? That not one shall perish. Jesus didn't just reconcile our relationship back with the Father. He also came to reconcile our relationship with one another. There was this huge disconnect with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had a huge immaturity, both spiritually and emotionally. They did not delight themselves in people. Now, I get it. Some people rub you the wrong way. I feel you. But when are you going to love them like Jesus? Right? A lot of times people, oh, I just want to be alone or I don't ever want to be around people. Then you don't understand what it was like to be like Jesus. Now, now I get it. Yeah, you don't know. You're, you know, you're an outgoing person. Yes, I've always been that way. My first word was I. Shocker, right? <laughs> Pushing in the cart. My mom has me in that little bat fit. And I'm like, sada, sada. hi, 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 right? I've always loved people, but let me tell you, my love changed when I fell in love with Jesus and he changed my life. I love people in a different kind of way. I love them in a different kind of way. And if you struggle loving people, you gotta get on your, on your knees and ask God, how do I love people like you love them? See, the church leaders of this day even made fun of Jesus. They called him a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of the tax collectors. You're a friend of the sinners. It's in Matthew eleven nineteen. The religious said, Jesus, you delighted in life and people way too much. But Jesus, God's own son, our savior, the king of kings, refused to separate the practice of the presence of God from the practice of the presence of people. There was this one time the religious leaders, they tried to push Jesus into a corner. Remember, they tried to trap him. Ah, I'm smart. I know the Bible really well. I know the Torah. I know God's word. I know the laws of Moses. I'm going to get that guy right in front of everybody. I'm going to trick him. And Jesus drops a mic on him and summarizes the entire Bible for him. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. Oh, we'll get him. One of them, uh, the, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with a question. And this is what he said. He says this to Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? Verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said in verse 39, he goes, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Church, we gotta stop treating people as objects. We gotta stop treating people as its. When someone becomes an it to you, you treat them as if they're a means to an end. Something that you use like a toothbrush, like a pair of shoes. That's not people. Recognize the uniqueness in every person on earth. It's extremely pivotal if you want to be emotionally and spiritually mature. Amen? Augustine, he defines sin like this, quote, the state of being caved in on oneself, end quote. See, true relationships can only exist between two people willing to connect across their differences. When genuine love is released in a relationship, God's presence is manifest. Amen? All right, here's the second. Second principle to help us love well is dealing with conflict. I want you to look at your neighbors, start a fight with them real quick, and then see if you can resolve it. 
I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. You don't know how to do it well yet, maybe. I don't know. Hallelujah. Save that for the car ride to church, right? Oh. <laughs> it's true, man. I remember driving to church all the time. It's like, you want to know when the biggest fight happens all week? It's on the way to church. Oh, my, my, my. Here's the second principle to help us love well. It's dealing with conflict. Now, an antonym for conflict is peacemaking. Emotionally mature believers have the capacity to resolve conflicts maturely and negotiate solutions as we consider other people's perspectives. Imagine that. Other people matter. And their perspective matters. See, the heart of a true peacemaker is acknowledgement. Sometimes I think we'd have a lot less fights if we would just acknowledge the other person and how they're feeling and maybe how they witnessed whatever just happened. Amen? Don't forget we are all human beings and we're all made in the image of God. Here's the sad reality. Most Christians are poor at resolving conflict. Anybody agree with that? Matthew 5, 9 says this, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Woo. Now, here's a, here's a tragedy. This verse has been misinterpreted and, and spun over and over again in some terrible ways that aren't even godly. Most people think that Jesus calls us to, in this verse, to be pacifiers and appeasers to ensure that nobody gets upset. Let me tell you, Jesus wasn't a hippie. He wasn't throwing peace signs. Hey, man, let's just live together in peace. No wars, bro, no wars. Uh, right, let's just hug it out. He probably did that. He probably hugged it out. I can't wait to hug Jesus. I cannot wait <laughs> to hug Jesus. Some people take this verse and they think, we should just keep the peace. Ignore difficult issues. Ignore the problems. Let's make sure we remain stable and serene. Just sweep it under the rug and wait for everything to settle down and maybe they'll forget about it. Church, that kind of belief is born in fear. We, are no, we know that fear is a liar. If we avoid conflict and appease people, we are false peacemakers. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. Come on now. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right. True peacemakers love God, love others, and love themselves enough to disrupt false peace. Conflict and trouble were central to the mission of Jesus. Reread the word again. Read the gospels. Who was the most mad at Jesus? Not a trick question. I think you know it. Who was the most mad at Jesus? The religious people. Was he like, oh no, let's just let them do what they want to do. Everything's fine. Peace, flowers, man. Let's just go to that field, take our shoes off and run. Right? I can say all this because I was born and raised in Oregon, okay? So I've seen it, and I have hugged a tree, okay? I have. <laughs> Jesus, he disrupted the false peace all around him. He did it in the life of the disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders, the Romans, and, and people at the temple. Why? Because the Prince of Peace knows that the kingdom of God doesn't come from lies and deception. Darkness is to be exposing the light and then replace it with the truth. This is what a mature, godly, and loving person would do. Unresolved conflicts are one of the greatest tensions in the Christian life today. Most of us hate conflict and we have no idea what to do with it. So instead of risking any more broken relationships, we prefer to ignore the difficult issues and settle on false peace. 
We just sit around hoping someone, something or someone will go away. But church, it won't. You can bury it as long as you want, but eventually that, that molehill will be a mountain and you will explode and you will have no clue what to do with yourself. Church, we can't build Christ's kingdom on lies and pretense. We can only build it on the truth. Emotionally mature Christians who practice peacemaking, they're gonna move from defensiveness, reactivity, and fear to openness, empathy, and vulnerability. Practicing this will bring a level of discomfort initially. It's not easy to have conflicts. It's not easy to talk hard talks. It's not easy to confront something when it's wrong. It's not easy, it never will be. It's easier to understand what to do than it is to put it into practice. But let me tell you, if you repeatedly put this into practice and you do it in a mature and godly way, this was gonna free you and the other person from a lifelong cycle of emotional immaturity. Amen? Number three, another principle to help us love well has to do with mind reading and expectations. Anybody remember the ninth commandment off the top of your head? Read my mind, I have it. No, no, okay. Too soon, okay. Um, you know it, what is it, baby? Testify falsely. What's that? No, it's, to, it's this one, okay? It's in uh, Exodus twenty sixteen. You're close though. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, this is very simple, but very powerful. And this will help us love well. Here's a fact. Every time I make an assumption about someone who has hurt me or disappointed me without confirming it, I, be, I believe a lie about that person in my head. Did you hear that? Every time I make an assumption about someone who's hurt me or disappointed me without confirming that is true, I've believed a lie in my head about that person. This assumption is a misrepresentation of reality. We're so used to saying, my reality is my reality, right? My feelings are my feelings. And, and you know, there's, there's three sides to every story. One person, the other person, and then the truth. To assume that your side is the only truth has already failed you. If you don't check out with the other person, it's very possible you're believing something untrue or you're even believing a simple misunderstanding. You only know part of the story. And it's likely you're gonna pass that false information, that false assumption also around to other people. And I put a sad face, super sad. When we leave reality for our own mental creation, we create a counterfeit world. We create counterfeit relationships. What am I, what am I saying? How many times in our life, and there's not a soul on planet earth that has never done this, how many times we assume something of someone based on what we have, never went to that person, and then we judge them, we judge a relationship, and we have all kinds of thoughts. And we, what we have actually really just done is we created our own mental creation of a counterfeit world, a counterfeit relationship with that person. How many times have you ever went, man, after you talked to him for a little bit, you're like, that is not who I thought it was. I read that book only by its cover. See, when we do this, we wreck relationships. We create endless confusion and we create conflict. Unmet and unclear expectations, they create havoc. Unmet and unclear expectations make it very hard to love well. The problem with most expectations is that they're unrealistic, unconscious, unspoken, and, they're, and or they're unagreed upon. So they must be conscious, realistic, spoken, and agreed upon. 
Or guess what? It'll never work. Before I move on to the next one, I want you just to take a moment right now. Think in your mind to yourself. Is there an expectation that you've had of a friend, a roommate, a spouse, a family member, a boss, a coworker, whoever, a neighbor, that's an expectation that's unmet or unclear? And here's how you're gonna know it. Have you ever talked to them about it before? If you haven't, you're probably believing a bunch of things you shouldn't be. Now, honestly, you can believe a lot of stuff and then you go have that conversation and you're like, yep, yep, it checked out exactly what I thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? You feel me on that, right? But oftentimes, I would say majority of the times, it's not, it's not exactly what you thought. Lastly is this. Let's talk about how loving well how we do that is this. Let's talk about allergies, right? A bunch of people are having some allergies, right? It's 30, high of 30, high of 70. Get your life together, Iowa weather, right? It's like, we're blooming, oh, we're dead again. Oh, there's a bug, oh, he froze to death, right? He doesn't even know. <laughs> it's so weird right now, it is so weird. Are we in spring or fall? What are we, what are we in here? Like, what is this? Is this Winter, I don't even know. Okay, so we're familiar with our own physical allergies, right? People have allergies to foods and pollen and dander. Um, but here's what we're much less familiar with is our own emotional allergies. Here's what an emotional allergy is. It's an intense reaction to something in the present that reminds us of something from our past. The circumstances are very different, but the feelings are the same. What happens most of the time or most often is an emotional allergic reaction happens and we end up treating that person or that relationship or that situation now with the same reactions of that person or that relationship or that situation that we've had in our past. Here's an example. Maybe you grew up with people in your life that were emotionally unavailable. So when someone close to you now says, hey, I wanna do something without you. I wanna go somewhere without you. You have an emotional allergic reaction. The circumstance is different, but your feelings are the same. Church, we have to recognize these are emotional allergic reactions. If you knew that eating that thing would kill you, right? Anybody have an allergic reaction to any food, right? Okay, and this is why you do not come on Wednesdays for food, food days. Okay, I get it now. So if you knew that thing that you're eating would, killed you, would kill you, would you keep eating it? No, I hope not. That's, that's, first off, that's stupid, right? Okay, it's stupid. Why are you doing that? Stop. Next time you just slap their hand, okay? In love. If you knew eating that thing would kill you, I don't think you'd do it. But if you knew that feeling or that thinking would kill your relationships, why do you keep doing it? We do. Right? I know when I get in this thing, a lot of times we call it a trigger or they're pushing my buttons or they're doing this or that. A lot of times it's an allergic reaction that you're having emotionally because something that's happened before because you haven't dealt with what's happened in your past and now it's currently in your present and you don't know how to handle a situation. So you treat that person or that situation the same way and the same uh, trauma and dysfunction that you had before now, but that person isn't responsible for what happened before. They're responsible now. So why do you keep thinking and reacting the same. You're having an emotional, allergic reaction. Somebody in the house needs some Holy Ghost Benadryl. <laughs> Amen? Hey, come on. What's that? Uh, that one movie where he's all, he ate shellfish or something, uh, you know, and he's drinking, he's like, come on, come on, right? Remember that? Hitch, Hitch, the movie Hitch, remember that? Okay, anyway. Oh, Will Smith. <laughs> Moving on, okay. Man, we need some Holy Ghost Benadryl sometimes. 
I need to get rid of that allergic reaction that I keep having emotionally and mentally and spiritually. It happens every single time. Well, why do you keep doing it then? Why do you keep thinking the same way? Why do you keep reacting the same way? Cut it off. Get some Holy Ghost Benadryl. We need Jesus to change our life, reset the way we think and feel so we can love well. Church, I'm gonna close here in a second. Worship team, if you can please come. Here's one of the greatest gifts we can give this world. We can give this world a community of spiritually and emotionally healthy adults who love well. Amen? All of us, okay? Next, next month, we're gonna talk about trauma, okay? It's gonna be great. The first week, we're gonna give you a bunch of trauma. <laughs> then we have something to preach about the rest of the month. Isn't that gonna be wonderful? Man, our numbers are down next week. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm playing. We're not going to give you any trauma because all of us have it. There's not a soul on planet Earth that doesn't have trauma, childhood trauma, uh, adulthood, tr adult trauma, any, any just work trauma, uh, relationship trauma, physical trauma. We, there's so much trauma that we have. So much. But God is going to do something and he's going to Release that trauma in our life. He's gonna heal us. You don't have to live with that trauma, church. You don't have to keep having emotional and spiritual, mental reactions to things. God doesn't just come to heal your body. He came to heal you completely, right? You're not just saved spiritually. You're saved mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. One of the greatest gifts we can give this world is a community of emotional, spiritual, healthy adults. Ones that know how to love well. Now church is gonna take the power of God and a commitment to learn, grow, and break unhealthy, destructive patterns in our lives. You're going to have to be vulnerable. Do you have somebody in your life that can speak truth to you? Right? Right? A lot of times we don't want anybody, we want people that just say all the good stuff about us, right? We want a Facebook relationship. We don't want a face-to-face -face relationship. Do you have somebody in your life, because if you don't have somebody in your life that can speak plain to you because you know they love you, you need to get one immediately, immediately. I'm trying to, I don't want to mess it up, but the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, uh, King Solomon, the wisest man ever um, to walk this earth. Um, it says in God's word that he wrote most of that. And, and one of the things in there, it says it's better um, to have harsh words from a friend than kisses from an enemy. Because you know a friend loves you and he wants to tell you the truth or she wants to tell you the truth. You can't grow up until you're vulnerable and you allow God to grow you in maturity. It's important to love well. But first, to love well is you gotta know what God says in his word and you need to practice what you actually preach. Amen? It is so much easier said than done. If you want forgiveness in your life, why aren't you forgiving others? If you don't expect yourself to be perfect, why do you expect other people to be perfect? If you hate it when people hurt you, why do you keep hurting other people? If you don't like to be spoken that way, why are you speaking that way? And oftentimes we blame someone else. Well, they did it and uh, you know, I learned it from this. No more excuses, church. It's time to grow up. God loves you. He loves you so much he doesn't wanna leave you where you're at. He wants to grow you emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. There's nobody perfect. Think about the heroes of the faith. They weren't perfect, but here's what they had. They had one great quality. They were willing. They were willing. Are you willing not to just hear God's word, but willing to put God's word into practice? Because if you are, the world around you is gonna change. God's gonna change you, which will in turn change everything around you. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. 
Church, I'm gonna, I have a prayer for you that I wanna read. I'm gonna read a quote in the last verse of this series. We're gonna worship and we're gonna go, but I wanna pray for you, okay? Just stay where you're at. We'll stand in a second. Here's my prayer for you that I wrote down this week. My prayer is that God will give you the courage to faithfully live your unique life in Christ. That God's love will invade every aspect of your life. That you'll be loved by our Father and submitted to Jesus' Lordship. And that you will always be led by the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that you, through God's Word, will be a changed person as God changes your mind so He can change your life. Now here's a quote that Pastor Mark read. I brought my little notes. And this quote was from Kenneth Boa. It says this, quote, The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects. Therefore, it is needful for us to have a clear mind and a warm heart. End quote. Church, here's my last verse for you. Will you stand? I want to just proclaim it in your life. You don't have to stand if you don't want to. I'm so sorry. Romans 12, 9 is this. This is, this is my verse for you for this sermon to end it all. And then I'm going to pray. We're going to worship together. And I pray that we leave changed. Think about, church, what you think about. Think about the actions that you have, the reactions. Think about how you can love well. We got to grow up. We got to grow up. When we grow up and God changes our mind, the world will change. It's this, Romans 12, 9. Church, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. I'll read it one more time. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. I thank you that you love each and every part of us. It says in your word that you created us in our mother's womb. And you knew exactly at this time, at this very hour, I don't understand how you can do it, but you knew we would hear this word at this time from this person in that seat, wearing these clothes, thinking these thoughts, feeling these things, going through these challenges. You knew it. And you loved us enough that you spoke to us. So I pray that right now you change our thinking, change our minds so you can change our lives. Father, I don't want to just feel your presence. I want to know who you are. I want to know your ways. And I don't want to just say things. I want to do things that your word says. God, will you help us when we're weak? It says you can be strong. A lot of us come with some challenges because of the way that we're made or uh, nature or nurture. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, God, can they stop being excuses and may they start being our prayers. Whatever we come with this morning, we lay it before you and we say, God, help us to be more like your son. I need it, you need it, and the world around me needs it. Help me. When I'm vulnerable, when I'm honest, teach me your ways. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Let's worship together before we go.